Romans uh, chapter 13, and in an effort to keep uh, the Word of God preeminent, let's take a stand and, and look at these, uh, these passages here. Look at the last few verses there, chapter uh, 13, verse 11. The Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord. It's, it's a great spirit you've given us today, Lord. Lord, I, am, I stand here in awe of your presence, of your greatness, of who you are in Jesus. Lord, we just we love you, and we're very thankful for the cross. We're very thankful for the manger and all the things you've done for us because, because you loved us. In fact, we only love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we thank you that we can be in this room, in our upper room, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray, Lord, you prepare our hearts even now. Uh, to, um, to receive your word, uh, but more importantly, that we could lift up our voices to you in song, as we've already done, Lord, in spirit, in sermon. Lord, help us to, uh, to make much of you this morning. Help us to bring glory to your name. Help us to worship you in truth and in spirit, Lord. And Lord, we do ask that uh, you hear our prayer request this morning for the sicknesses that are going around. Uh, for, the, for the, the young man going to the Bible Christ, Lord, and his family, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you touch his family and be with Katarina, Lord, as she shares the gospel with him, Lord. And just, Lord, just put your hands and your arms around that family, Lord. And, Lord, uh, be with Lisa as she teaches the children. Be with my wife in the nursery. Be with the children there, Lord. And, Lord, be with all of us, Lord, as we, as we worship you this morning. Help us to leave different than we came. Help us to our heart to be changed this very moment uh, to see you high and lifted up. And, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, please be seated. As you can see, I've, I've, I've titled this, this message, knowing, knowing the Time. Knowing the Time. And I want to say thanks again for, for attending uh, our, our morning service this morning. I truly hope, as we've prayed and mentioned a couple of times here, that you come with the, with the right heart, uh, with a heart of worship. You know, if we come here with the wrong heart, it's really, it's really pointless to come here. Um, and, and it's not too late. You can, you can make that right even this very moment um, just by bowing your head and getting right with the Lord. Um, it's, it's important to have your heart right. Um, and it's nothing that none of us are immune to. We have to keep going back to to make our, our heart uh, in the right place. I want to say also that it's good to be back. Uh, I was not here last Sunday, as you know, but uh, it was truly a great honor to preach and teach in, in Czech and in Romania, not in those languages, but in the country. Um, uh, there is... No place like home, though. Um, there's no place like uh, this church that God has called me to. I've shared with my wife and even with some of the missionaries there. Um, and, and maybe this is something that God's teaching me, but I do my best pulpit work, if you can call it that, in this church and not in any other else. I, I don't know. I have the greatest liberty to preach here than, than I do anywhere else. And I want to say that I'm, I'm, good to be, I'm glad to be back. And I don't know what the future holds. Um, as in, you know, what, what, what holds tomorrow, what, uh, what, uh, what the new weeks and the years and all those things like that. But over the last few weeks, as I've shared a couple times already, I have been burdened um, personally in what I call my purpose for the moment. 
What is my purpose for this moment? Why am I here? Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's always room for growth. I understand that, and I believe that I am where God wants me to be. And I, I believe that I am heading in the direction that God wants me to go. I believe that. I believe I'm following the Lord. There's always, of course, room for improvement, but I believe these things. But as we learned from the book of Esther, we've, I know you've read that, but, and we preached it a couple months ago, but God is He's never shocked about the times. He knows what the world's going on. He knows what's going on in the world. He's never shocked by the times or the circumstances, but He rather leads His people to a place in those circumstances. He leads His people for such a time as this, as, as Mordecai put it. And there are really three simple parts to this concept here, maybe four. We'll look at that fourth one here in a moment. But let's look at it. God leads a specific person or a family or a church or however you want to look at that. God leads a specific person to a specific place for a specific purpose. Now, we often get the first two right. God's led me to here this morning, right? Person, place, right? But we often miss the purpose. We often get the first two right, but we often miss the last one. And along with that specific purpose, however, is a specific point in time. Time and purpose truly go hand in hand. Um, put it in a question this morning, as I've been put it, put it to my, as I have put to myself many times over the last couple of weeks here. What is your purpose for this time right now? Not just. Not just here this morning to worship God, we, we understand that, but tomorrow. This time, the era that we live in, what is your purpose for being where you are, for having the influence that you have, for having, well, however you want to look at that, God has brought you to a, there, to that place. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? As Christians, we have, of course, the grand purpose of living a life that reflects Jesus Christ. That's a given. We have the grand purpose of living a life that reflects Jesus Christ in our hearts as well as among men. We are to live out our Christian life before men. This is basic Christianity. One could hardly call me, for example, a diehard sports fan. Now, I'll watch a football game every decade maybe, I don't know, with my sons or something. Um, I'm just not a diehard sports fan. And there's hardly any evidence in my life to show. So. Brother Keith, on the other hand, he has a cheese hat. I do not have a cheese hat. Um, I, just don't, I just don't follow the sports that much. I don't mind them. I'd rather play them than watch them. Well, not anymore. I'd rather watch them than play them, maybe. But, however, my commitment to Christ, I would say, our commitment to Christ, should be far more passionate, dare I say fanatic, than those who are diehard sports fans. Followers of Christ should follow Christ. And we should look like we're following Christ. Again, that's basic Christianity. We can't say we're a soldier if we don't do anything that soldiers do. That's basic Christianity, and it's applicable to all of us. And unless the direction of culture changes, following the basics of what it means to be a Christian is going to require a level of faith that is yet foreign to us. If the culture doesn't change, following, following the basics of what it means to be a Christian is going to be a challenge more than we've ever been challenged. And it's with this mindset I believe the Lord brought me to this passage. I believe God wants us to view this passage in that mindset there in Romans chapter 13. In other words, God has brought us 
each of us, individually, collectively as families, and collectively as a church, to this time for a purpose. For a purpose. Let's read those last few verses again. Look at verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness and strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. These last few verses, I believe, contain at least three straightforward, very direct charges from God to us regarding our purpose in this life, in this time that God has brought us to. Verse 11 again says, Knowing the time, which is the title of our message this morning, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. So number one, very clearly right out of the text, there's time to wake up. It is time to wake up. And this is not necessarily to us individually, and it is also to us individually. It's at the same time. Wherever we're at, there's always some, some level of being more awake. And I'm not addressing the wokeness that's going on in where I'm talking about biblical alertness, being awake to what's going on in our lives, in our church, and in the world. Remember also that this passage here was written to believers, not to the lost. It's written to Christians. It was written to Christians and for Christians. In other words, it's not a charge to believe. It's not a charge to trust Christ as your personal Savior. It's a charge to recognize the time and wake up. But if you are not a believer, the obvious implication that that's your first step, to wake up from the darkness of sin and self and trust Christ as your personal Savior, I want to point out that there's not a soul in this world that measures up to God. There's not a person that measures up to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the standard, and He alone is the door to eternal life. With great clarity, Jesus said in John 14, 6, No man comes to the Father but through Him. Access to God and access to life is controlled by the author of life, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen, this life is not going to last forever. I mean, there's two aspects, many aspects we can look at, but two of them, we have just a short time to bring glory to God. And we have just a short time to trust Christ with our life. So the Bible says in James that our life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. What are we doing with that time? It starts with trusting Christ. We must trust Christ. And while we can never earn our way into heaven, that's evident, even, even in our inability to keep our own standards, how could we keep God's standards? We can't keep our own standards. So it's evident we can't earn ourselves into, into heaven. There is indeed a way. And you know that way is Jesus Christ. Amen. The full statement there in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to eternal life. If you die and go to a devil's hell today, when you close your eyes, or tomorrow, or whenever, you will go against the will of God because God has made a way. That's that simple. You know, if, if we only acknowledge our deep depravity because of our sin and the eternal punishment because of that sin, the eternal separation from God, and then we acknowledge and accept by faith Jesus Christ as the payment for that sin, we can indeed, you and I, can enter into the abundance of eternal life. Who doesn't want eternal life? I, I, I've been often, when I was 
young in the Christianity, I would go and introduce other folks to, uh, to Christ, trying to, to soul win. And one of the, probably still one of the most popular ways to open that, that door, it's a cold knock, if you will. But if you know today, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you're, you're going to heaven? We, we see that often. I've said that before. But I think the opposite is also true. That we, we can also ask this question to those who do not believe. If you were, die, if you were to die today... Like this very moment, are you 100% sure that nothing happens? That you will not meet a God? That if you just go into the grave and you will never be thought of? Are you 100% sure of that? Because there's a lot of evidence that says otherwise. We must trust Christ as our Savior today in this life. Acknowledge Him. Accept that payment. Exchange our wretchedness for His righteousness. 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's no in middle ground. You know, we call things secular, but it's really a misinterpretation. It's either for God or against God. There is no middle ground. He that hath the Son hath life. He that doesn't have the Son does not have life. And Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's really that simple. But for us who are like the Romans here, or the Roman Christians, rather, you know that you're redeemed. You know that by grace through faith you've accepted Jesus Christ. Back to the text, back to the, the thrust of the text, we see that this command is to wake up. It's a charge to refocus. Why? Because right there in the text, our salvation is nearer than we believed. It's a charge, if I can put it this way, it's a charge to stop ignoring what's going on in the world. It's a charge to stop spiritual sleepwalking, to not be complacent. You know, and I was in a couple of deployments when I was a soldier, you know, that last day, those last few days, people start getting very, very complacent. But, you know, the enemy doesn't care. He doesn't care. He might even capitalize on your complacency. We have to stand tall. We have to do what's right. We need to wake up in context here. Paul, or the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul, to us this morning is, is giving us a charge to wake up. And for the record here, Paul is not addressing um, the reality or the surety of our current salvation in, in the phrase, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe, but he's referring to the complete fulfillment of that salvation at, and that it draws near. You know, we are now freed or separated from the punishment, the eternal punishment from sin, but we are not separated from the presence of sin. That's here. This is what that's talking about. There's going to be a time when we are with God, and that's getting closer. Not just, not just calendar-wise, but culture-wise, if I can put it that way. It's, there's events going on that we see, and we should always be living in a time of imminency. With imminency. Look at that verse again. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. One commentator put it this way The lateness of the hour demands that all lethargy and inactivity be put away. Our salvation is nearer than ever. And while God has always demanded that his people live vibrant lives of faith, he's commanded that we live vibrant lives of faith, not just go along with the crowds. We need Christians today to wake up. We truly do everywhere. We need Christians in this church to wake up. I need to wake up from time to time. A well-known historian and an author recently compared the American church with the 1930s church in Nazi Germany, and there are striking similarities. Striking similarities. 
And while no one could have ever predicted the calamities the world would soon face in the 30s and 40s, the sleepy, quiet state of the German church didn't help at all. They, you could say they have blood on their hands. True, there were some who were, who were awake, the Bonhoeffers and such, but not enough. And there are not enough Christians today who are awake, knowing the time. Many of us, and I've been guilty, I think maybe even some of my close friends are guilty. My father maybe at times was guilty. I don't think anymore, but we, I'm a believer. I know the Lord's coming back. I'll just ignore the world because He's coming back to take me one day and ignoring completely the purpose that I have in this life. Again, the Bible states, knowing the time that it's now high time to awake out of sleep, for, our, for, our, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. It's almost like I'm laying here and the Holy Spirit's standing over top of me. Get up. It is time to wake up, Christian. There is work to do. Get up and do what I've asked you to do. There's work. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off those works of darkness and put on the armor of light. As we, trans, as we progress through this text here, we see very clearly that it's a time to wake up. And then look again at the end of verse 12. Let us put on the armor of light. It is time to armor up. It is time to put on our flak vest. Do they even have those anymore? <laughs> our, our what? Yeah, put those things on. Our IBAs or whatever you call them. Put those things on. It's time to put them on. The Bible states that we need to put on the armor of light. Now, it might go without being said, but no soldier puts on armor and goes back to bed. Not any good ones anyway. You might find some going back to sleep, but you got to go get them, you know. So no good soldier puts his armor on and goes back to sleep, but how many good soldiers today are sleeping? Christians, that is. On one hand, one wonders why Paul felt the need to tell Christians to cast off the works of darkness. On the other hand, we, we, we know why. Because there are things that belong in the darkness, and there are things that belong in the light, and we are children of the light. But sometimes... If this is me being in the children of light, as a child of light, sometimes I'm so fascinated with the things that belong over here. We should not be fascinated with the things that are in the darkness. They're in darkness. We've been delivered from that darkness. We're so fascinated with things that belong to our old life that God has to inspire Paul, not just here, but in many New Testament passages, get rid of them. Come out of there. Walk in the Spirit. Cast them off. Put them away. Forget about them. Romans 13, 14 again says, put you on the Lord Jesus. That's a great contrast. In other words, don't cover yourself with garments of sin like Adam and Eve tried to do. Cover yourself with the righteousness of God. Put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Now I can tell you that we should just not sin and live right. That would be a true statement. We could conclude from this text that we are to walk in light, in light and not in darkness. And that would also be the right conclusion. But that conclusion, I don't think, honors the text as much as it could honor the text. Paul doesn't just say that we are to cast off the works of darkness and just move on. He gives us some examples of that darkness. To Christians, mind you. Romans, Christians living in Rome. He gives us specific examples of what he means by works of darkness. Look at verse 13 again. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So let's take a quick, brief look at each one of these. Rioting. This has to do with cutting loose, if you will, and forgetting maybe your personal boundaries in your life, just, just letting go. 
Not surprisingly, the Greek word is specifically connected to nocturnal activities. And then there's drunkenness, usually connected to rioting, of course. You can see right there in the text, look there again, rioting and drunkenness is connected, chambering and wantonness is connected, and strife and envying all connected in three different (laughs) groups there. And drunkenness is usually connected with rioting. But it obviously has to do also with intoxication. We're just not, it shouldn't describe Christians. And then we move on to chambering and wantonness. Chambering, uh, chambering is a, a reference, an easy reference to promiscuous living, but probably also fornication, which, by the way, is any sexual relation outside the biblical confines of marriage. That is promiscuity, fornication, if you will. And then there's wantonness. This is simply unbridled lust from excessive video games to pornography and on and on and on, it is the uncontrolled fulfillment of worldly desires. It's giving in to your fleshly desires, letting it go again. And then there's strife, sounds just like it sounds. It's contention. Again, among believers, Paul is writing to, contention among believers. Now, this doesn't mean disagreement. It just means contention. It means strife. In Proverbs 13.10, the Bible says, Only by pride cometh contention. If there's contention, there's pride. I'm guilty. I'm guilty quite often of that. Only by pride cometh contention. And then there's envying. Envying is jealousy. Jealousy goes hand in hand with strife, does it not? Envying is the zealous desire to have what someone else has or appears to have. Whether that's a church, whether that's eloquence, whether that's a fancy Ferrari, whatever it may be, it's that unhealthy desire. And these six things are six things that should never identify the Christian. Right out of the Bible, two Christians. These should not characterize us. These are the works of darkness that we are to cast off. Some of them seem kind of distant from us, but some of them, if we're honest with ourselves, are closer than we would want to admit. These are the works of darkness that we are to cast off. And in contrast to the text here, we are to, or with the text, we are to walk honestly. It's interesting that if we compare these to the fruit of the Spirit, it's kind of almost opposites. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. How different would it be if every Christian lived according to those? These are the attributes, however, that we are to live by, not the works of darkness. And living out the fruit of the Spirit is what it means to walk honestly. I think it's what it means to armor up, to put on that armor of light, to put on honesty, to put on generosity, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, to put on temperance. And as we, that's what it means to put on Christ. I think when we put those things on, we actually put on the Lord Jesus. And the opposite is true. When we make a goal to put on the Lord Jesus, we actually uh, show those things in our walk. And quite frankly, knowing the time that we live in, it's high time to put on these things. It is high time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no time to hide in the darkness of our deeds or the darkness of doubt. It's time to step out, which I'm getting ahead of myself here. But it's time to to wake up. The Bible says the night is far spent. I mean, think about that. The night is far spent. The day is coming. The sun is coming. The sun is rising. He will return. And we have but a little time to shine our lights. Because when the sun comes up, our lights don't shine as much as the sun. They shine in the darkness. We are living in the darkness. We have to shine our lights now. Shine our lights. It's time to wake up, to armor up. And then notice again verse 14. 
put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, no, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, in context, this last verse, I believe in context there, if you have one of those Bibles that separate sections, you can see that section begins with verse 11, that paragraph there. In my Bible, it's a bold 11. So that whole concept, this, this last verse, carries with it the same urgency that verse 11 carries with it. It's high time to truly start living for the Lord. It's high time to put on the armor of God. It's high time to stop making provision for the flesh and step up and live like God intends us to do. And in our context this morning, in our outline this morning, it's time to step up. Listen, this is a, this is a, a, a message that's for me. It's probably, it's probably more for me than it is for any one of you. It is time for me to step up. Galatians 3.27 says this, For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, if you're saved, you have Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit of Christ within you. So we have been enabled to live the way Christ desires for us to live. We like that verse, Christ lives within us. Praise God, I have Christ, I'm, I have eternal life, and all those things are great. We should give God glory for that. But with that presence comes a responsibility, comes some accountability. But like, because again, we've been enabled to live the way Christ desires us to, according to the Spirit. And to not do so is not because we lack the resource. It's because we lack the willingness. That's the difference. That's what we need to look at. And just like a soldier gets up in the morning and he puts on his or her uniform for the day and then performs duties that reflect that uniform, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and reflect a life that, that points to Jesus Christ. Look at that contrast there. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. It's Christ or self. The contrast is between putting on Christ or making provision for self. Put on Christ or put on self. We either quench the Spirit or we quench ourselves. There's no middle ground. We're following one or the other. There is no healthy compromise. In every moment, in every decision, in every thought, we are to choose His way or our way. And it's high time that we started choosing His way. Not only does it bring glory to God, by choosing His way. But this world needs us seriously to step up. I must admit again that this message is as much for me as it is for you because I need to walk more seriously with my Savior. Too many of us are sleeping. Sleeping. Sleeping Christians. So much so that church doors are closing all around, all around the world. Nations are crumbling. Souls are dying Never hearing the gospel from the sleeping Christian living next door. When I was in the army, we did this thing called, I don't know what you call it these days, but urban operations. And it was a common practice for, as you were to approach a village, an enemy village, if you will, it was a common practice that once you got that first foothold in that first room, that was going to be your new, uh, what you call it, your talk, your CP, whatever, your control, your center of operations, right? Still the same? Probably right. Yeah. So, so I want you for a moment, picture an enemy village under attack by a formidable foe. 
that first room um, conquered becomes the foothold as you move into that village. And room by room, you are taking that village. But now, I want you to flip this around and picture yourself as a resident of that village. And the world as the formidable foe, or the devil, or, or culture that just, just doesn't follow the Lord. That's the formidable foe. Many sleeping Christians in this village, we've allowed the enemy to take that first room. Many times without even a fight. Whether it's biblical marriage, whether it's abortion or creation, or even the gospel itself, we've given up that first room. Whatever it may be, whether they gain a foothold through music, through books, through world, through, through worldly movies, I don't know what you want to call it, through doctrinal matters, through persuasion, through appealing to the flesh, they're taking the village room by room by room. And the village we live in is falling. All the while, many of us who seemingly live on the other side of the village, away from the conflict, sleep away the night, believing that our village is never going to fall. You can apply that to churches. You can apply that to countries. You can apply that just about to anything. Also in the Army, I did, I did a stint with some reconnaissance outfits, and we also had a room we called the Alamo Room. If all else failed, we would all retreat to the Alamo Room. That's where we had our last defenses. We'd make our last stand. Now, I, I understand that as Christians, we know that our victory is in Jesus. We know that the church prevails. And our salvation in Christ is secure in Christ. But this passage is written to Christians on earth, not in heaven. On earth, as a part of the church in Rome. If the Christians of yesteryear only focused on the hereafter, like most Christians do today, we would not have the ease of worship that we're experiencing right this very moment. We would not have the minimal amount of sacrifice for service that we have today if Christians yesterday didn't stand up and recognize the times that, we, that they were in. History is replete with believers who recognize their purpose for the time in which they lived. Hebrews chapter 11 gives the testimonies of many who lived full throttle for God, if I can put it that way. And referring to those saints who bore many trials for the truth before the birth of Christ, the author of Hebrews states that the world was not worthy of them. I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but we need to live in a way the world is not worthy of us because of the Christ within. And while it's a given that these individuals here, they put forth a valiant effort to not live after the flesh, they were still sinners. But their efforts are the reason they made an impact in the culture they lived in. They didn't turn their heads. They made a point. They, they didn't keep silent. And they are our examples. So I think it's time for us to step up. It's time for me to step up I, my effort for the Lord and my service for the Lord by making, it begins by making no provision for the flesh and putting on the Lord. In Romans 8.13, Paul wrote that through the Spirit, we are to mortify the deeds of the body. I like that word mortify. It means kill. We are to kill the deeds. We are to kill the deeds that make provision for the flesh. Kill them. And in Galatians 5, after he compares the works of darkness with the fruit of the Spirit that we already read, Paul wrote that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Friends, this is not sleepy Christianity. 
This is active and awake, fighting, crucifying the flesh and living for Jesus Christ. This is a concerted effort to live holy for God. And back to our analogy of that village there, I don't believe that we're in our Alamo room. I personally don't believe the church will ever be in the Alamo room because God is with us. But many rooms have been taken. The true church will stand. The question is, are we true? Do we follow in the Word of God? Do we teach what's right? Do we believe what's right? How many rooms have been taken and how many rooms have to fall before we let our light shine in the darkness that we're still living in? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. You know, there's much work to be done. And the labors, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the labors are so very few. A world desperately needs laborers. Desperately needs more pastors, more deacons, more teachers, more church planters, more faithful worshipers. It needs more love, more honesty, more generosity. The world needs more Christians to wake up and get their head out of the hole that we're living in. I know I lived there for many years, like a decade, ignoring the world, ignoring everything that's going on in the world. And God says, it's now time to wake up. Like the prodigal son coming to himself. Remember him there sitting there eating with the pigs and just lipe up. We need some lipe up to go off today so we can run back to the Father knowing the time and realizing that it's high time for us to live out these things. It's actually past time. It might have been high time there in the time of Rome, but it's past time. It's time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And as we close, let let me say this. It is truly my desire that you as a church help me help you through the preaching of the Word of God. But also that I want to do my best in helping you help me to keep each other accountable to better live out our faith before God and before man so that both you and I can also live out the purpose for which God has called us to in this time. There is a purpose. To not know it is not an excuse. Or it is an excuse. It's not a reason. We must know that purpose. And it begins by doing what we know already to be done. I had a, uh, a life or a time in my life when I was searching for the will of God and I went for my pastor and he asked me a couple of things what I was doing in my life. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you sowing? Are you doing all these things? And his whole conclusion was, are you doing the things that you know you should be doing? Because why would God give you any secret will, if we want to call it that, if you're not doing these things? Why would he give you anything new? And I think that spoke volumes to me. And three years later, I was surrendered to the missions field, uh, to the ministry. Now, that doesn't have to be you, but we still need laborers. Because God has called each of us, every single one of us, every one of us, for a purpose. He's called your family for a purpose. All the brokenness that we have, God has a purpose for us. For this church, for your family, for your children, and for you. Let's live out that purpose in such a time as this.